Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Field. I'm a strength coach. Uh, also a high school strength coach now, so that's kind of neat. But, oh. uh, that's about it. Just lots of stuff going on. So. Nice. I'm Dr. Mike G. Nelson, uh, creator of the Flex Diet Search and a bunch of other stuff, and I'm teaching at the Points Retreat in the Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, this weekend. So I just hopped on here this morning to get this recorded. Cool. All right, we yeah. have Chris Jugert with us. Chris, maybe just a sentence or two about yourself, not to throw you under the bus here early. Oh, yeah, very early for me. Uh, I am Chris Jugart. I am a uh, writer and editor, and I am the CCO of DNation.com. Right on. All right, everyone, after the break, we're going to talk with Chris about uh, some of the ways that fitness media gets put out there, right? Video and podcasting, maybe the explosion of it all, how to navigate the BS, all that kind of stuff, because Chris has long experience in that. Uh, we're going to start with just a little bit of news here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, last week, I mentioned a study that we are doing at, at my university, and that uh, an almost identical study came out um from australia and i just wanted to touch on this real quick so a little bit of science news here and of course anybody can chime in uh this is international journal of environmental research and public health 2018 a daily cup of tea or coffee uh, may keep you moving the association between tea and coffee consumption and physical activity uh it's torquati t-o-r-q-u-a-t-i uh, and colleagues, University of Queensland uh, School of Human Movement and Nutrition. So here we go. Physical activity, they say, is an important predictor of mortality uh, in women. Uh, but fatigue remains a major barrier in this group. It's not well understood whether consumption of naturally caffeinated drinks is actually associated with physical activity. And we talked about this last week just a little bit, but the general idea is if you're more caffeinated, you're just going to move around some more. You know, you might take the stairs instead of the uh, escalator or something like that. Um, so they looked at 7,580 women. So we're not going to get in near that, but um, I mean, in our study, but participants reported average tea and coffee intake over the last 12 months uh, and then their usual physical activity. Um, the ones who consumed one to two cups of coffee daily were 17% more likely to meet their uh, metabolic equivalents, right? Their intensity times volume type of uh, metabolic uh, recommendation from the government. Uh, so one to two cups of coffee per day, 17% more likely than those who had less than one cup per day. Um, as far as tea goes, let's see, uh, more than three cups a day of tea they were between 13 and 26% more likely to meet their physical activity recommendations. Now, to Mike, your point last week, you were saying, you know, like, why did they do this? When you pull the full paper, and I'm not going to chew through the whole thing because we have uh, Chris on here, but 
It says tiredness and energy. Uh, they had to mediate those things. So what they tried to do is use statistics to clarify how much overcoming fatigue was part of it, if that makes any sense. And they didn't have really strong uh, conclusions on that, uh, just essentially that women who drink the one to two cups of coffee or you know, one to three cups of tea a day were, in fact, m- more likely to meet their movement recommendations as future research is warranted to investigate the causality um, and some of the spe- lifestyle sp- specifics. So um, it looks like it's probably going to do something. Uh, our twist on this is just that we're going to look at this in university students. The first time we did, we, we tried to look at all of them, but that's not going to work, right? Because if you have someone where a Fitbit or uh, heart rate variability or all that kind of stuff, if a coach is driving them into the ground, you know, that, that's going to affect this hugely, right? Because the caffeine isn't what's causing their movement patterns. The coach is making them do laps, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So we're going to try to narrow this down to probably one specific sport or maybe even just people who aren't on a sports team. But that's going to be weird for us because my school, we're like 70% jocks. Like literally almost three out of four of the kids are on a team. And that's not always true across universities. But So anyway, interesting stuff about stimulants uh, getting you moving. That, you- is, that is really interesting. You know, can I play devil's advocate to it? Oh, sure. Okay, I recently wrote a piece at tnation.com about uh, income and your chosen style of exercise. And this was a big survey that uh, some company did, I think. And they looked at how people train and how much money they make. Non-trainers, people who don't go to the gym at all, typically made less money than people who work out. And then they dug a little deeper and, and figured out that people who like really vigorous exercise, it sounded a lot like they were describing CrossFit or something, but any type of vigorous exercise made more money than people who go to the gym and walk on the treadmill and do a set of curls. And they, the, the, it was a company who did it. It wasn't like a fully fleshed out scientific study. Okay. Um, the company said, see, this is why you need to be active. You'll make more money. And my response was, well, is this a chicken and the egg sort of thing? Right. Yeah. In other words, people who push themselves to work out and care about that and have taken that next level, they're also the types who are going to, like, bust their ass at their job or be more dedicated or want to improve and climb the career ladder and stuff like that. So this kind of reminded me of that. I wonder. I love caffeine. I'm always looking for positive caffeine studies to support what I want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. – it did make me kind of wonder, do people who have that midday cup of coffee, are they already kind of the go-getters, the people who will move around more? Yeah. No, it makes sense. In fact, um, Mike, you might have turned me on to this a year or more ago that when under different types of stress, there may even be gender issues here, like men men will – pursue more coffee when they're under stress, which seems counterproductive, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe because they're getting aggressive in some way, I don't know, And uh, than women, you know, not to say there aren't aggressive women, there certainly are, I know plenty, but you get the point, is <laughs> it, 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 why are yeah. you turning to this, and I, Mike, th- this whole correlation thing is something that we obviously talk about often, right, that chicken or egg, is it, and Chris, in your c- case, is it the higher income affecting, you know, their choice of intensity, or is it sort of the opposite? You know, they're intense people driving their income, you know, and that's the problem with this Australian paper, of course. It's it's not a problem. Epidemiology is just like that. You know, it's correlations. It's not causal. 
And I think that's last week, that, Mike, that's why you were saying, you know, how much of this is overcoming fatigue versus maybe yeah. adding on top of your already high motivation, right? Something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's cool because it's an idea of, hey, here's an association to look at. And then like what Chris was saying, too, is, you know, is it next step would be to look, is it causal? You know, what are other things, you know, what are other variables we may want to look at as we kind of expand it out, but it's still a good first step to say, well, at least there's some association here that's probably worth doing some further investigation. Right on, yeah. And with this, it says, with women, fatigue is a major barrier to physical activity. Now, again, population-specific, right? This is gen pop, which makes me wonder, uh, like, Phil, at Strength Guild, uh, your people, are they using stimulant-type beverages? Are they doing that to overcome fatigue? Are they doing it as part of a pre-workout to add on top of already high motivation? Yeah, I'd say the, the, the higher motivation. Yeah. So they're just yeah. adding anyways. Um, yeah, and we're all fatigued, you know. I mean, we're working class people in general. I, I don't have anybody that's like a professional athlete that that's what they do. So right, yeah. you know, I have a lot of people that come in at 5 in the morning before they go to work and a lot of people that come in at 5 afternoon after they work. So, right. you know, we don't have the luxury. Few of us have the luxury of – you know, it's it's our job to train. Yep. So yeah, I mean, there's some energy too, but I mean, they'd be there anyways. Right. Yeah. So, in ugh. fact, most of the stuff that that I've done over the years, just presenting and publishing a little, is on that. Right. Is is this, the pre workout as part of a pre workout? That's how almost all of our studies begin. Right. Because you're talking about people who are they're not just trying to abolish fatigue. Good point. We're all fatigued on some level, probably. But they're doing it very intentionally to ramp up intensity. I mean, that's sort of the concept of a pre-workout blast of caffeine, you know. So, okay. Okay, um, one more, uh, and then we'll we'll chat with Chris some more. Um, Can breakfast help with weight loss? This caught my attention. This is from labroots.com. Noran Amin is the name of the, the journalist, but... This is something that I've wrestled with for the longest time. We've all heard breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that sort of stuff. And I was actually left wanting after I read this because I'm like, come on, guys. So there's a little video that goes with this. But basically it asked, does eating breakfast really help you uh, lose fat? Uh, what they did was there was a – this is actually referencing a 2016 study. It says researchers randomly assigned individuals who have high body mass index to either eat a breakfast of 700 calories – uh, for six weeks or to avoid that breakfast for six weeks. And basically the rule was that they had to eat the breakfast. They defined it as before 11 a.m. So that's pretty loosely defined in my opinion. But uh, And unfortunately, it just says the results were mixed, leaving researchers to, who, to theorize, you know, there is the camp that says if you don't eat breakfast, you have less energy to move throughout the day, right? And that's why I always like my oatmeal and berries in the morning, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because basically you have enough energy to move around. You might get more an intense workout or move around more. But then the other camp believes that it's sort of the opposite. If you eat breakfast, you're going to add calories, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's just very tough. If you eat breakfast in the morning, you have the energy to move around. Uh, and maybe you'll eat less in the evening, you know. Uh, conversely, if you skip breakfast, maybe you get the munchies that evening and you destroy a bag of chips, Okay, but there's also some benefits to skipping breakfast. You know, it almost harkens to the intermittent fasting thing. Can you extend the time of a fast after sleeping all night? 
Um, so it, it just leaves you saying that the researchers are theorizing back and forth on this, but there's nothing definitive. I'm guessing this is something genetic, maybe, you know, or maybe personality-based. Chris, I know you have a background in psych. Do you think this is a, a psychological thing, like some people are going to dig skipping breakfast and maybe they should have the right to? Or what's your opinion on breakfast? I'm a big breakfast fan. Mm-hmm. I've, I've written about seven or eight different things now on studies I've read and that I really dug into that that basically said eat breakfast just like just like mom said and it's everything there's so many things that involve that that it, it it involves it's uh it's your hunger regulating hormones it's uh it, it sometimes it is a uh, uh, personality and lifestyle based things but if you look at some of the studies on people who have lost weight a significant amount of weight and kept it off they almost always eat breakfast, and those who gain it back are almost always breakfast skippers. And I read something yesterday that was really fascinating that sort of split the difference between the intermittent fasting, which uh, I think some intermittent fasting can can go too far. Sometimes I call it uh, like anorexia light. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> people get a little crazy with just about everything, you know, and I've, I've done it too. I used to love experimenting with all these things. Um, but the thing I read yesterday was fascinating because it took like a 90-90 approach, a 90-minute, 90 90-minute 90 approach. Delay your breakfast by 90 minutes, but stop eating 90 minutes before bed. And normally, like one of the things I do when I'm, when I'm wanting to trim off a couple of pounds is I stop eating after dinner. I always have like a healthy snack at night watching TV, but it's like it's really healthy. It's like protein and berries and, right. and nuts. But if I cut that off, if I cut my eating off about three hours before bed – in a few weeks, I've easily trimmed off whatever I wanted to trim off. Uh, but this this new study was interesting because it did show that people who delayed breakfast by just 90 minutes, not the usual like wake up and then don't eat for four more hours, mm-hmm. as is common with many uh, IF protocols. Uh, this was just 90 minutes, and then and, and then 90 minutes again at the end at the end of the night. And it showed that I didn't I didn't dig too deep into this, but basically the people who did that lost more weight. But then it came right, but it didn't dig into hormones. It didn't dig into, um, you know, any of the physiological things that this can help with or hurt. It just basically said, you know, if you have an eating window, you're probably going to consume fewer calories. So it kind of, it kind of goes back to, well, because you're eating fewer calories. Right. Because you just have a window. But for me, it's, uh, it's eat breakfast and you're less likely to overeat at night. And if you want to do an intermittent fast, I say cut it off at night, not in the morning. Fuel yourself up in the morning. And this is kind of a theory of mine, but I think if you wake up, if you're one of those people and you wake up and you're like, but Chris, I just don't want breakfast. I'm not really intermittent fasting. I just wake up and the thought of eating is gross. Mm -hmm. I don't want to eat. I'm fine going until 11 o'clock or even noon. I say that you're appetite regulating mechanisms and your hormones and all this are, are probably jacked up. I think it's probably because you're really overeating at night and I just don't think that's the best way to go about it from everything that I've read. So eat breakfast, mm-hmm. cut it off at night if you want to try some uh, light intermittent fasting. Right, right, right on. Mike, uh, when we were in Spain, there was a lot of talks about chronobiology and that kind of stuff. And you remember yeah. they were talking about if you exercise in the morning, you're turning on certain genes you know, um, you know, internal clock type genes. A lot of them are in your liver, but they're really throughout your body. I got to think nutrition is similar to, to uh, Chris's point about, you know, your, their hormones, their different physiology things that 
that come with eating breakfast. What are your thoughts on some of the eating and chronobiology? Maybe genetics are even part of it. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think a lot of it also probably depends on what you're habitually doing. And I think there was a couple of studies that tried to look at this. And I'm, I can't remember the outcomes, to be honest. But if you habitually eat breakfast and you skip it, or if you don't, you add one in. Because I think your your coronal biology may sort of try to re-regulate to what you're used to doing. The, the human studies on meal spacing and timing from a coronal biology standpoint, I'm, mm, I'm not really sure how important they are. I mean, I think they do have a role. And mm-hmm. if you're a rat or a mouse, it's a massive role. But um, another conference we were at, Frank Turek's lab did one of the biggest studies on the exact same amount of calories, the exact same amount of food, and just giving them at different times in humans. And if I remember right, they didn't show a, a massive difference with that. Um, but again, most free-living humans don't keep everything else the same and just change timing. They're usually changing how much they eat, what they eat, and timing. So it makes it kind of more of a bugger. Um, on a practical sense, I do if people are not making progress on what they're doing, then I usually try the kind of what Chris was saying, almost the opposite. So if they're routinely skipping breakfast and they don't eat till noon, then I'll probably try to push more calories a little bit earlier in the day and see if that works. Um, sometimes vice versa. If they eat breakfast all the time, I may have them try just one day a week, you know, skipping breakfast or pushing it out to do a little bit longer fast and see how that goes. My thought being that, yeah, whatever they were doing before for God knows whatever reason wasn't working. So maybe let's try something a little bit different and, Anecdotally, a lot of times that seems to help too. So yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll get Mike Ormsby back on. Ask him about some of the. Yeah, per- I just talked to him the other day. Perfect. Yeah, so he's got some fascinating stuff about protein timing at night, and the really, really short version was it didn't really seem to mess things up the next day. And in general, you could have almost quote unquote um, freer calories and protein at night, and didn't seem to be an effect. But. uh yeah, we'll try to get him on because he's got some super fascinating research in that area. Yeah. To Chris's point, I'll do something similar. Like I normally will do a bedtime snack kind of thing. Like I, I get low-fat string cheese, you know, and I'll eat three or four sticks of that or something lower carb like the berries that Chris is doing. You know, I'll do that kind of stuff. And then when I'm trying to lean down, in fact, this semester I'm actually doing something that I knew I had to do last time I competed to lose weight because I was getting older and I had to get a little more aggressive. But it's sort of that – uh, intermittent fasting light, actually, like Chris was saying, which was on Thursdays, I when I get up, I'll have some egg whites when, before I leave. But then I just, I drink some low-dose whey protein, basically, and that's all I do during the day. And then, you know, I don't eat I, my usual bedtime snack kind of thing. And am I hungry throughout the day? Yeah, I mean, I, I think on some level, you got you got to get at least partly used to not panicking when you're hungry, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, but at the same time, if you're going to swig back 15 grams away with a little bit of leucine or something like that every 90 or 120 minutes, it makes it tolerable, you know. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably the more rational idea is being some, somewhat more moderate. So, uh, Okay, uh, just real quick, I just wanted to announce to everybody, I, I know a lot of the listeners said they were interested in the coffee project, the coffee taste testing and the, all that st- that's going on. Uh, there, there's just a slight delay. I'm actually reaching back and forth with some uh, food science researchers. I want to use a flavor tasting wheel. It's part of the fun part of this project, by the way. 
you learn how to be a coffee taster by participating in this project. And to do that, I didn't want to just make up my own scales. I wanted to use one from the Specialty Coffee Association of America. There's a couple of food science profs at uh, in Kansas, actually, and in Texas A&M. And uh, I'm going to ask them if I can't use this wheel that they developed. So it essentially talks you through, you know, is it a dark roast? Is it a light roast? Is it more roasty? And if it's more roasty, in what way? Is it more nutty or like toast? You get the idea. So it, it talks you through the whole thing. And on the back end, what I'll be doing in the lab is then analyzing the brewed samples for different compounds, right? Different um, phytochemicals. And I'm going to see if these taste profiles relate to certain things. Like, does the caffeine make it taste more acidic? You know, does the chlorogenic acid make it taste more toasty? So that's the kind of stuff I'm doing on my end. But uh, again, I need uh, feedback from people, and that's why I've been reaching out. So if you did sign up for that, study uh, slash just taste test project uh, stay tuned I'm just going back and forth with the uh, with some of these lawyers a little bit and uh, before we hit record I'm just I'm holding in my hand right now the provisional patent for this the, of the specific way to brew coffee to help with cognition and whatnot uh, and potentially muscle mass too so anyway it's exciting for me behind the scenes so thank you for indulging me uh, listeners uh, I haven't forgotten and we are very much underway it's just I got a lot of stuff going on so all right, having said that, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Chris uh, essentially about the different kinds of media that are put out these days, maybe compared to back in the magazine-only era, um, and even navigating through some of the BS. So we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go.
like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's Mike, it's Phil, it's Lonnie, and it's Chris Shugart. Uh, Chris, as you heard at the beginning of the episode, longtime writer and editor uh, in the fitness world um, at T Nation uh, and Biotest and all the associated businesses. We're going to ask Chris a little bit about what he knows and even some of the newer things uh, that he's got going on. In fact, let's start with, with that, Chris. So I know that Nation has done quite a bit with video and things like that in the future, but you and your wife are thinking about like an audio format podcast. Is that right? And if so, why? You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I think you and I, Lonnie, were, were kind of the front runners in this. So Nation started in 1998. And I got on with Nation in 1999. And you can still find our old original articles from 1998 online. And what's fascinating is sometimes we'll rerun them on Facebook or something. And people will say, this would have been better if it would have had some videos of those exercises. And we say in 1998, you could not have downloaded those videos (laughs) (laughs) with your internet dial up connection. Totally. So yeah, I've been, I feel like I, I feel really old when I tell my daughter how I didn't have the internet until 96 you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> till I was 30 or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, so starting a podcast for teenation.com, we did this a long time ago. Uh, and I would call them audio articles because, and I did several with you, I believe, and it was called the double tap series and where I would call someone up and in one take, I had a radio shack recorder that I hooked in my computer. Nice. And in one take, we would ask a couple of questions and uh, and I would send that off as an MP3, and they put it on this little player at tnation.com. Mm-hmm. And it, we didn't call it a podcast because there were no pods yet. Yes, like right. pod wasn't brown yet. That word hadn't came into the vernacular yet. Right. And you, you did the same thing, you know. And so um, as Nation evolves, as we go along, this is our 20 year anniversary. Wow. Uh, first, like everybody else, we've had to jump into Facebook and Twitter and Flipboard and Pinterest and uh, name it, we're on it, Instagram. And I started thinking, you know, well, what do I do in a lot of my spare time? What do I do when I'm taking care of the lawn or things like that? Well, I listen to a podcast. I thought, well, why aren't we jumping back into that since, you know, I, I should be really good at it by now. I should have kept going 15 years ago with this. And it's another avenue of reaching out. Because these days, if you're a content provider, you're like what we used to call an online magazine like TNation.com or just your own website and your own blog, um, it's, it's almost, not quite, but it's almost not about your website anymore. It's about the associated social media involved with that website. Mm-hmm. As a chief content officer, sometimes I wait to see if these new forms of social media really take off and are they valuable to us? Can they drive traffic back to the site? Can okay. they get our, our authors, more readers, things like that. So we kind of wait a while. So 
Instagram looked like it was going to work out and it was going to be very popular. And of course, it's huge now. So we started uh, doing Instagram. I think we're at uh, 218,000 now. And there are a lot of people who know T Nation as that Instagram account. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm. The articles we publish on there, the videos we publish on there. And it, it's really strange because uh, several years ago, someone had started a T Nation Facebook page, someone who used to work for us, and they didn't really do anything with it. So I went to the big boss, uh, Tim Patterson, the CEO and creator of TNation.com and Biotest Supplements and everything. And, and I said, we've got to jump on this. We, we need a Twitter account that we use every day. We, we need to reactivate this Facebook account. And, you know, his first response was like, but I want people to come to our website. You know, I don't want them reading our articles on Facebook. You know, we want, we want the traffic to our website. We're yeah. one of the top fitness websites in the world, you know. Um, and I had, and I had to explain that's how you get people to your website. You give them the, the ability to share and to like and to comment and to get your engagement rates up, which makes your page popular, which means they put it out there to more people. That's the way it used to work, at least. Facebook is now uh, pay to play. But, um, and so, yeah, social media especially is so important. And starting a, uh, an official T Nation podcast with my wife, Danny, we think that's going to be just another another layer to the whole thing that will eventually do what the big goal is when you're in the business, which is drive people to your website, into your store to buy your products. Yeah, years ago, I remember a conversation I had with with Tim Patterson, and he was so video oriented. You know, he's like, "No audio, eh, you know that we don't have to do that anymore. We got the bandwidth to do video. Video's cool." And I'm I'm paraphrasing here, <sighs> right? But he was positive on the video stuff. Now you guys are you're you're not going to step away from the video at all. You're just adding the audio on top. Is that right? I think you have to do everything these days because it's sort of like when blogging first began. There were a couple of popular bloggers like in our industry, and then everybody got a blog, and that's when you realize that wow, people need editors. Yeah. Uh, so my job is secure, um, but. <laughs> It, well, so these days, everybody has the YouTube page. Everybody has a podcast just about, uh, and you have to do everything and just try to do it better than everybody else. So, yeah, the the uh, audio podcast, um, we're still working on it. We're still getting some things. Our, we have our first interview in the can with Christian Thibodeau, the strength coach, mm -hmm. um, and we're just kind of learning how to put it all together and get it out there. But you have to you have to do everything, video, audio, Instagram. And I'm I'm reluctant uh, to do. I'm not a fan of a lot of that stuff myself. I may not. I probably wouldn't have a Facebook page if I didn't have to have a Facebook page of my own to Amen. Yep. help with T Nation's Facebook page. But you just you just have to do you just have to do that these days. You really do. And on every level, it's whether you're a, a writer, whether you're a researcher, it helps to get yourself out there. You know, so many people who are uh, nerds, excuse me, guys, all you PhDs out there. Uh, that's how you get invited to speak at conferences. And when you get invited to speak at conferences, maybe they saw you because you have an Instagram where you do little updates every day, or you have a YouTube page and you speak at conferences and that's where it draws people to your ebook or anything you may be promoting on the side or just to your work in general. Cause you think you're right. You want more people to hear your stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, your comment about the web page itself not being the only focus and how people might know about T-Nation just because of Instagram. Like, to them, that's what you are, you know, or something like that. I mean – That's scary. (laughs) It is scary. In 2009, right, Phil, you and I, when we started Iron Radio, Mm -hmm. uh, we – we just embrace the audio format because you can do it in such a way like in your car on the way to the gym while you're mowing the lawn. A lot of like what you're saying. And to me, it's old school, but I've always liked the audio thing because you can do other things and expose yourself to a community. You know, In fact, a lot of the, the data suggests that the um, communities behind podcasts are more loyal and more interested you know, like in coming back every week. Uh, than in some other formats. So I thought, hey, this sounds like a good idea to me. But what struck me over the years was that, yes, indeed, the website, like ironradio.org, it's not that updated. We've had some listeners say, you know, it looks a little old school and this and that. Yeah, it does. It's it's really a portal to the audio, right? And so right. the website is really quite secondary. Uh, and I don't spend a ton of time on it because we are being disseminated through – you know, Stitcher and iTunes and uh, a little bit on YouTube, although for us it's really just sort of a backup. Um, and a lot of these things, if I had the time to market properly, I would do what you said, Chris, which is focus on all these channels because they all interact. And they allow people to interact with you a little bit, you know. But, yeah, the right. website thing, websites are going to become less and less the point of the Internet, I, I think. You know, there's going to be the Internet of things. There's all these devices and things that we have. And yeah, and what a what a huge journey it's been since um, the late '90s. You know, we were doing what we called internet radio. <laughs> you know, the podcasting, like you said, wasn't even a word. I hear these guys; they call themselves the Podfather, and they've been doing something since like 2012. And I'm like, oh, son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sit down. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I totally understand. Let me ask this. Um, how do people navigate? There's so much crap. You talk about how we don't have editors as gatekeepers, and we've talked about this over the years. I even think with you years ago, but in general, because of self-publishing and this and that, do you have any tips? And I know this is kind of hard just to, on the fly, but any tips for people who are – they're interested because podcasts have exploded just in the last five years, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. There's like even more of a, of a resurgence of it. How do people navigate that? Do you have any tips for people, the video, the audio, the content providers? Uh, what are your suggestions? As far as wanting to do it or just wanting to be a consumer of it? Right. No, good question. Just to consume it. You know, they want to find good shit <laughs> online. Right. 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 You know, um, years ago, uh, T-Nation was very focused on – the authors and the coaches and the experts and the professors. And it became sort of a cult of personality in a way, because all you had to say is here's a new article by so-and-so. And it was very focused on that person. Anyone would read it because, Oh, that's by Charles Poliquin back in the day. I like all of his work. I'm going to read his work these days. It's much more about the, the content itself. What is the article about? What is the video about? Do I want that information? Do I need five tips for deadlifting? Is the title enticing to me that I want to click on it and read it or watch it or consume it in some way, listen to it? Um, and I think 
it's it was kind of better in 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 the old days in a way because you find people you trust. Like I have my my go-to people. Anytime a training concept comes around, anything dealing with lifting weights, I form my opinion but it, I don't solidify that opinion until I talk to someone like Christian Thibodeau mm-hmm. because he will think around that subject eight different ways and hit you with things you never thought about before and um, kind of blow your mind. That's why I wanted to interview him first in our podcast. He blows my mind every time I talk to him. Um, and with nutrition, there's the same thing. There, there are a handful of people. I want to know what this, I want to know what Dr. Lowry thinks about this. I want to know what Mike D. Nelson thinks about this because I need, I need them to help me form my opinion because I know they're going to think about things that I'm not thinking about yet or bring up something that, that I just don't know about because I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm just an editor type. But after 20 years of it, you kind of become a half expert in everything. <laughs> um, and, and so my advice would be, you know, to consume all you want, and but then you know, bookmark in a way, follow, save those people who just um, can kind of give you everything you need to know about a subject, and not from a googly-eyed perspective. Because right now, the biggest problem I see with like social media and diets and nutrition, for example is that people get very googly-eyed very quickly. They become, I, I call them diet cults. In other words, so here's someone you say, it's veganism, it's intermittent fasting, it's, uh, what, name it. Name whatever whatever the, the eating trend is, paleo, whatever. Um, and they do it for two or three weeks. Then they decide they're experts in it. <laughs> and, and then they put out an Instagram page, a YouTube page, uh, you know, a Twitter page that that's like paleo Mike, you know, and they put the word or vegan, whatever, you know, whatever they've tried for two weeks, they add that to their, to their, their name. It becomes their identity. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I do not want to listen to someone. I don't want to listen to the cult members advice on say intermittent fasting. I, I don't want to talk to the googly eyed person who's been doing it a month or two. I want to talk to the person who has a background, who's tried lots of different things, and maybe has tried intermittent fasting for a considerable amount of time. I want that guy's opinion. Yeah, you I know? think that's I, I, wise. They're going to give you the pros and the cons. And like, for example, I did, I did, I almost did paleo for a full year. I still used workout nutrition supplements around the work at the peri workout period. Uh, but I did paleo for almost a year. And I think I have, I think I have a good opinion on it because I did it for a long time. I did it, then I didn't do it. That's, um, that's, you want to talk to me about that if you're, th- if you're thinking about trying it, not the person who's been doing it three weeks and has got like the fanboy googly eyes. Here. Yeah, I see what you mean. That buy in. The, the issue here is that I want to get a t shirt that says science doesn't care what you want. Right, Because what people do is they get such buy-in, they, they start a belief system, and, they, and then they stop concluding. And you see my difference, right? You believe with your heart, but you conclude with your head. And you need someone who's neutral enough. Like, Mike, when you and I, if we want to put something in a peer-reviewed journal, you better make sure that everything you say is evidence-based and it's not belief-based, or you're going to get shot down immediately, right? So oh, yeah. by, by exposing yourself... 
uh, in your case, Chris, it's to the different you know strength coaches, nutritionists, authors. Uh, for Mike and I, it's we stumble in like as nerds, and you know I embrace that. Uh, we go to conferences. Uh, Mike Mike goes to co- conferences like no man I've ever known. And but, <laughs> but then you're you're exposed to such a wide uh, variety. It really reinforces you have to. A smart person will alter his or her conclusions based on new evidence, right? And those those googly-eyed people won't. They'll defend the original point. Uh, Sagan used to talk about that. Like it's very hard to untrain someone or let them know that it's something that they believe in is wrong because you don't want to feel bamboozled, right? No one wants to admit that they were wrong or bamboozled, but that's not the the rule of science is you change your conclusions and new you know with new evidence. And if something comes along all of a sudden for example that told me that protein is going to really really damage my kidneys, man that's that goes again I, I'm going to be skeptical. But if it's overwhelming across many studies and it's replicated and everything else, I might have to rethink and reconclude, right? And I would be willing to do that, uh, whereas there's a lot of people, like you said, if they're part of a cult of personality, forget it. You know, you're not gonna. And why would you listen to them? You're right, because all they're gonna do is cherry pick evidence, in, instead of trying to come up with what's real, right? Science is about their own real. echo chamber as well. So they're in many in many times they're they're not even hearing the other side of the argument or the possible downsides to something because that doesn't make it into that chamber. You know, if, if, if I say, hey, there was a study done on uh, uh, intermittent fasting and it's showing, showing like belly fat accumulation after a while because it's, it's possibly doing something to your insulin sensitivity, you don't bring that up in the Facebook group that is all about intermittent fasting where they're saying they, you know, they've cured cancer and they're seeing auras and they ride unicorns now, <laughs> you know, right. they're not going <laughs> to, that, that's never going to go into their discussion at all. When if you're if you're like you said, if you're neutral about it, because you have to think about it, why am I doing this diet or this training protocol or whatever? Well, I'm doing it for selfish reasons. I want to be stronger. I want to look better. I want to be healthier. I want to live longer. So why do I give a shit personally what that method is unless I am like the, the diet cult type person? Mm-hmm. And you see this a lot in, in veganism, and I, I understand if they're coming from I don't want to harm animals and those movies about veganism and animal processing gross me out. I totally understand that. But, you know, at one point you have to step back and go, listen, you have major nutritional deficiencies that are actually causing the depression that you're now getting drugged for, and that has major side effects. Maybe, just maybe, humans weren't meant to eat like you're eating. And be selfish about it. Do you want to live longer, feel great, and look better? Then give up the the googly-eyed part a little bit and get selfish and, you know, have some chicken. (laughs) (laughs) I actually know someone who's a vegetarian who has recently embraced chicken, and she's like, wow. (laughs) 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 Like, not just taste, but, you know, almost across the board, but... Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on some of what Chris is saying as far as navigating, you know, the oceans? Because we've we got audio, video, text, um, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I know that you've got a popular newsletter and you work online almost constantly. Uh, do you try to disabuse your listeners or your readers of 
this googly-eyed cult personality kind of thing and and keep them neutral and revising or you know how do you help educate people in that sort of thing yeah it's such a fine line and you know i learned this from you guys and, and chris too that i try to present what i think is correct at the time and then based on anecdotal data or experience and then you know obviously hopefully on research so even in a newsletter i have if there's something that is from a study, I'll actually quote a study. I had one that went out that I had like nine references in a freaking newsletter for crying out loud. It took me three hours to write that, that one, which most of them aren't that long or that in-depth. Um, but at the end of it, trying to make sure, you know, and I think T Nation does a good job of this, what is actually practical? You know, so here's the science. Here's what it says. Here's what we think the conclusion is. And then what is sort of the, I think I stole this line from you, Chris, what is the, the kind of the payoff at the end? Okay, so having more protein before bed is a good idea, you know, different things like that. So even if someone wasn't entirely on board with the science and the reference, they're still kind of taking that person's word, but it's an application at the end. And I think having both of those is super important because you want something to show that it's based on actual research. I don't have any problems if people say, you know, based on my experience, I've seen X, Y, and Z. Yeah, that's great. That's, you know, can be super useful because there's not a randomized controlled trial on everything. Um, but I think stating what evidence you have and where it came from and then what is kind of the payoff for the person reading the article because to me, there's nothing worse, and I love research, but you go through like you know 10 pages of reading this heavy research, and the, the summary at the end is just non-existent. You're like, oh, okay, what, what do I, now what do I do? Right, no, right. <laughs> you know, if you're right. someone that's good at reading research, it's useful. If you're not, you're like, I'm pissed because I spend 20 minutes now, and I, I'm more confused. <laughs> Yeah. We have a section at the end of our articles, and uh, T.C. Luoma started this, actually. when We, we have this uh, series of articles we call TIPS, and uh, they're basically very short articles, and many of them are just looking at the latest studies, and where we break them down in really common, fun language. And, um, and T.C. started at the very end. He said, how to use this information. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that needs to be at the end of every one of these, how to use yeah. this information. Uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I either pick this up from you, Chris, uh, much like Mike, or from TC, but maybe probably a combination, which is tell a story and then offer some pay dirt at the end. You know, and to me, it's even if it's just try this for a week or a month, you know, or a couple of months, or uh, give this a shot in the gym. Consider this. Consider that. You know, because there are sometimes it's hard, like with this breakfast stuff that we talked about earlier. Um, that's hard to tease apart, and there may be nutrigenetic things at work and that kind of thing. And and all science is not immediately practically applicable. You know, like it's the difference between science, which inches forward. Science is very reductionist. It's going to answer one little hypothesis. You know, and people want to say they want you to say, "Is that good?" Well, I don't have a piece of equipment in my lab that measures good. You know, kind of thing. Ah. So, uh, but it's it, it, but and yet at the same time, when it comes to podcasting. It is fun to then talk about it and speculate it. You know, we have some people who've reached out to us over sure. the years and said, "Oh, you guys, you know, we, you used to be purely evidence based, and now you now you're opinion based, like um, MSNBC or Fox." I'm like, "Okay, stop! Don't drag politics into this if that's what you mean." 
that's not – if you don't at least talk about how this might apply in your opinion, and so long as you're saying, hey, here, this is my opinion or here's some speculation, then I think that's what makes it listenable, right? Like, Mike, you said it best, I think, oh, months ago. You said if you and I just got on here and – read scientific manuscripts especially basic research not applicable right research oh, not applied but basic research <laughs> oh my god we'd have like one listener and he'd probably be someone that you and i <laughs> immediately know yeah and he'd be pissed <laughs> right <laughs> right so commentary is where the entertainment is and with all the social media stuff we are seeking to entertain or infotain people so i mean that's why Fox News and CNN and everything. That's why so many of those are commentary and opinion-based programming these days and not just hard news because those get the most ratings. Those are the most fun. And uh, Lonnie, you and I, you and I have, have, have talked about this a little bit. Um, you have to keep some things entertaining, even – even as a researcher, even as a scientist, when you get out, uh, when you get out into the real world, you take that information out and you want to give that to the public. You have to make it entertaining or fun or energetic or simple in some way. Or you know, what's the point of doing it? Absolutely. In fact, you know what, Chris? I might send you a link. Um, in the classroom last week, there was a, a Science Friday. There's a podcast, right? Um, and they they were doing interviews a couple of years ago oh, with scientists about how you have to tell a story. You know, if you don't tell a story, if you leave yourself out of it, it becomes so dull so fast that people they won't even you know learn anything from it, you know. So there's definitely that. Uh, I just want to ask you one last thing, and this is from the production side, from the content provider side, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. Number of co-hosts, like you're going to do this with your wife, Danny. Um, what benefit does multiple co-hosts have as opposed to, you know, some of the YouTube channels are literally someone drinking a cup of coffee and looking into a webcam. Um, right. The number of optimal number of co-hosts, uh, diversity among the co-hosts, any thoughts you might have. And again, this would be might be for some of our listeners who are more expert, right, or experienced, and maybe they want to be a content provider themselves. Should they consider a co-host, and if so, how many and who? Well, I'm pretty new to this podcasting game, so I may change my mind after uh, a year or two of doing it. But right now, everything uh, I've read about, everything I've, we've experimented with. Uh, best practices, things like that. It's first of all, it's very, very difficult to do it solo. You have to be a pro, and I'm talking about someone who's probably trained in media and has been in the media for 15 or 20 years to pull off a solo podcast show. Yeah, most of them are incredibly boring, incredibly cheap, and oh god, I just can't, I, I can't, I can't listen to them myself. I, I'm, I'm listening to them to be informed but also entertained. So I think a co-host is really necessary. Um, right now, if I had to guess, I would say it's host, co-host, guest. And if you go too much beyond that, it may get confusing. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I think there were at least seven people on it. And I, you know, I just forgot who was who. I hear what you're saying about the solo-only thing. I mean, at the very most – or very least, rather, you'd have to have like segments with bumpers. Like, here's the news, because that's evergreen content. You know, people might say, oh, "My God, you've done Iron Radio for ten freaking years. How do you keep you know, keep it fresh at all?" Well, Mike and I, especially the way Mike travels, you know, with conferences and workshops, and and myself a bit of that too, or myself, you know, finding something new in the lab. 
news is one way to do that. But, yeah, you got to chop it up in segments, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Months ago we had uh, Dr. Cordero on, and she's a media professor, and she was actually talking about, you know, different things, telling a story, a narrative, all the kinds of stuff, sections, you know, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's fun to do that, and I think the diversity is important too. One of the things – and I know Phil had to go off to the gym, but uh, so much of Phil's membership is now women that – I think having a co-host, having your wife on is actually going to be very clever, right? Because sometimes, not that you can't talk about both genders yourself, but it's very handy to have a female perspective on her personal experiences and that kind of stuff. And, and again, I don't know if, um, if T-Nation remains mostly men, you know, like back in the 90s, but we're seeing a big influx of women, like a lot of the best growth and performance uh, peaks and that sort of thing at powerlifting meets – Women, women getting involved in, into just weight training in general. Yeah, it, isn't that fantastic? Yeah, and uh, and I think uh, we've seen a big change since since the late nineties. In that, um, I think we have to give CrossFit credit. Cro- you know, CrossFit pulled women into the gyms where bodybuilding and powerlifting just had a trickle of women here and there interested. In it. There's always that group, you know, that people were really into lifting weights long before. CrossFit, but CrossFit opened that door. They showed them beautiful bodies of women doing things athletic. There was nothing skanky about it. Mm-hmm. You know how some of the bikini contest posing things turns a lot of women off. Uh, we have to give CrossFit credit for that. And uh, yeah, Danny's the first female editor of TeenNation.com. And it, it's really funny because sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll get some haters on social media and they'll say just a bunch of guys doing this, doing this. I'm like, well, actually that article was written by a woman and edited <laughs> by our female, our right. female editor. But, uh, okay. I guess the word testosterone is still a little scary to some people. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, I hear you. A, a little diversity to me. That's the, it's the whole concept. You said something earlier that I think is wise, like behind the scenes is you do follow leads. Like what's generating the attention and you're not just doing that for yourself. You're doing that to meet the interests of the readership or the listenership, you know. And if there's a lot of women coming on board, um, you know, it, it's lean startup practices to follow the interest, at least on some level. So you're not wasting your time or talking about something people don't care about, you know. So, right. so you know, it, it, it's, it's fascinating because we kind of took a risk there. Uh, several years ago, you know, putting out articles just for women. We have a four women section now. And we thought, I mean, we see the numbers. We know we're mainly a male-dominated site within this specific age group, etc. Um, but I think, uh, I think it was one of Danny's articles, actually, uh, 10 Mistakes Women Make with Diets. It went over a million reads, Whoa. a million views. Uh, I think it's closer to two now. I'm, I'll have to check. Um it exploded, and not only was it just like women, serious women, because here's what we hear from our female readers. Our female readers say, I am so beyond Shape Magazine. Yeah. You know, they're oh, so right. beyond things like that. They want hardcore information. Uh, they want the science. They don't want to be baby. They don't want to be talked down to. They don't want to be uh, the pinkification. I don't know if you've ever heard that, where you just take any – program or any diet or any supplement and you make it pink and you market it towards women oh yeah you know (laughs) right and uh so yeah uh we're getting more and more female readers and i think with the articles for females our male readers are then passing those along because social media and all that's all about uh shareability 
as well. So yeah, the, the diversity gets the, the women to read it and the men to pass it to the women. And I, I think we have many more female readers than we used to. Yeah, everybody learns from it too. On Iron Radio, I can tell you, based on like the emails that we get, and we're not huge, right? But we get a um, between a couple and several emails a week, like listener emails. And some of the most clever, most you know, science hungry, um, thoughtful kinds of questions are, in fact, from the women you know who are now listening. And a lot of that is because of Phil's gym, and you know, because he's just got girls killing it on the platform. But mm-hmm. um, just and, and in many ways. They're just a good group of listeners to, to have, and it's a growing segment and all that kind of thing. Not that we don't like the meatheads, but you know, Iron Radio, much like I think T Nation is, we're we're really trying to we're out there for the sort of warrior nerd kind of person. You know, whether it's a guy or a girl, people who are they're eager. They know that there's a connection between knowledge and their own physique or their own performance, and they're eager to improve mentally and physically. You know, and it's not just the meathead who is going to roll their eyes, oh, science doesn't know what they're talking about, or I don't care about that shit, I just want to drink beer and bench 500 pounds, and I don't want to know why, you know, kind of thing like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Not that there's, I don't know how many are out there, but you get the point. The the, the pendulum is going to swing back and forth a little bit between egghead and meathead, and that's the kind of thing that we try to address. And I always personally appreciate the, the more thoughtful kinds of comments, and oftentimes it is, it is in fact, women doing that. Not that say we don't have a lot of clever guys um, you know, on the show, but anyway, you, you know what, what I really enjoy seeing is, um, on, uh, on our social media, on Instagram comments, Facebook comments or whatever. I enjoy seeing a guy get offended about something like really hyper politically correct type of guy, you know, and he gets really offended. Well, that article should not have said that because that is hurtful to people's feelings. I love it. A female, comments back and says stop being a little bitch <laughs> I, I love it women are the new hardcore meatheads in many ways no <laughs> you know? you're right like, you, almost, <laughs> you, you gotta be careful because you know i say man up sometimes i correct myself and say or woman up you know as as it pertains because <laughs> yeah when you're when you're tougher cookies some of them are women then how can you you know yeah i get it all right. Well, that's it. That's about it. I know Phil had to be off to the gym, and Mike, you're uh, you're out of here too. So Headed out here. Good stuff. I appreciate you coming on, Chris. Thank yeah, you thanks, so Chris. All right, everyone. Um, that's going to be it for this week, and we'll see you next time. See you. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at IronRadio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention, uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron 
are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.